been a while, and um, uh, I'm glad you could make it this morning. Um, uh, so in the past couple of weeks, in the past three weeks, we've been exploring the subject of Christian liberties, and uh, we've done a three-part message so far. So we looked at um, our freedom from the law, our being bound to the Spirit, and last week I came to wake us up and charge us to be on guard. And today I want to pause on that trajectory, and uh, I want to bring a, a message of encouragement, a, a reminder, because um, uh, this is the last Sunday of November, and uh, just next week, Friday, we've entered into the greatest month of the year, December. And um, as we are in this time of the year, people begin to take stock of their lives. People begin to... Um, uh, try to sort of um, take stock of how the year has gone by. For some people, you are looking at the things that you were able to achieve. For some others, to the things that you were not able to achieve. And depending on how your uh, stock-taking goes, that, that endeavor is able to energize you and give you hope for the coming year. And if it did not go too well, it demoralizes you and you are not looking in anticipation for the coming year. For some of us, December, uh, January has, uh, December is coming too fast. For some others, too, it cannot come fast enough. Right? So depending on where you are standing or depending on how your year has gone, you have um, a certain expectation of how the year would end and how the new year would begin. But this morning, I just came to give you a reminder, and I'm speaking on what I have titled, Remember Who You Are Working With. Remember Who You Are Working With. In your journey through life, and in your journey throughout the year, it's always essential that you remember who you're working with. I remember years ago, I... I went shopping and my dad happened to be in the car at the moment. So I went into the store and I picked some items and I was going to pay because it's my, my stuff that I'm buying. And he tapped me on the shoulder and he told me, remember that I am here. Right? You can shop on your own and pay on your own when I'm not around. But when I am here, daddy is here. Amen. Amen. And I want to encourage you that you are not working alone. You are working with your father. You are working with someone. Um, to help us see clearly what, we are, what I'm talking about, I want to us to turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, we're reading from the 9th chapter, 18th verse. Now while he spoke these things unto them, behold, there came a ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead. I will explain that statement in a bit. But come and lay your hand upon her and she will live. And Jesus arose and followed him and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the border of his garment. For she said within herself, if I do but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus Turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, be of good cheer. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a tumult, he said, Give place, for the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they loved him to scorn. 
And when the crowd was put forth, he entered him and took her by the hand and the damsel rose. And the fame hereof went forth into all that land. This, this episode that we've just read is the story of Jairus' daughter and how she came back to life. In fact, in this episode in the gospel, there are two miracles that happen in the same episode. It is so important that it is recorded in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them record it. And when you put them together, they give us different details of the story that we are able to piece together. And, and they put it at different strategic points because even though they are telling the same story, each one has a different audience and each one has a different emphasis. So Matthew is primarily written to a Jewish audience because he is trying to convince the Jews that this Jesus is the one that God had promised, the Messiah. That is why in Matthew we find the most, um, uh, the most allusions to Old Testament scriptures amongst the Gospels. In fact, Matthew is not the first Gospel to be written. The first Gospel that was written was the book of Mark. But because Matthew contains the most information to the Old Testament, that is why it is put where it is put in our Bibles. So that at least when you have finished reading the Old Testament and you come to Matthew, immediately everything clues you back. Are we together? So from, if we compare the story in the three uh, synoptic Gospels, we find that this daughter that is dying is Jairus' only daughter. His only daughter. And he rushes to Jesus. And he says, in Matthew, he says, my daughter is even now dead. In Luke, he says, my daughter is dying. When he says, my daughter is even now dead, it is a statement of desperation. Because by the time he left the house, the daughter was dying. So by the time he gets to Jesus, maybe she's already dead. And he says, will you come and, and heal, lay your hands on her for she will be made well. And they begin a journey. They are walking from where Jesus was because Jesus was around the temple teaching. They had asked him a question that why do your disciples fast? Why don't your disciples fast? But the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees keep fasting. So Jesus was answering and in the midst of answering, this man comes and bows at the feet of Jesus. I want us to look at the text carefully. The first thing that Jairus does when he comes to Jesus, the Bible says that in the New King James, it says he worshipped him. In the, in the more uh, contemporary renderings of our Bibles, the NIV, the ESV, it says he bowed down and knelt before him. Same idea here. Because the, the word here used is the Greek word proskineo, which means to bow down in reverence, to worship. And, and, and so then the, some committees translated worship, some say to bow down. The, the technical word to bow down in the Greek is pepto, which just means to bow. But when it conveys the idea of reverence and worship, they use the word proskineo, which is the same word that was used about the, the wise men when they came and bowed before Jesus and opened up their treasures. So Jairus has come before Jesus, and everybody is sitting around Jesus, but Jairus bows before him. If you understand who Jairus is, then you understand the actions of Jairus in a better context. Because Jairus is not an ordinary individual. The scripture describes him as a ruler of the synagogue. That means he was one of the top religious guys at the time. He, he understands the Jewish theology of the day. 
And if you know anything about Jews, they bow down to no man. They bow down to no one. Because it was in their idolatry, it was in their bowing down to things that were not God, that God sent them into exile. So they had come to the point and a strong conviction that we don't bow to anyone. So if you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whilst they were in, in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar erected a statue, he says, if you will bow to this, then you can have your life. They said, king, you can live forever. You can have your way, but for us to bow to you, it's not going to happen. If you read Esther chapter 3 verse 2, when Haman wanted to destroy the, the Jewish people, what brought the whole confusion between Haman and Mordecai and in extension the Jews was because Haman had gone for an edict from the king. And the edict said that when, when Haman passes by, everyone who sees him should bow. But the Bible says, and all the king's servants who were with him within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded so concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. So it was something within their culture. It was something ingrained in their system that we don't bow to men. We don't worship men. But Jairus comes and the first action that Jairus does is that he throws himself and worships Jesus. Jairus is trying to key us into something. And Matthew intentionally uses that word because he's trying to alert us that the one that Jairus has come to is not an ordinary individual. The one that Jairus has come to is not just a man. The one that Jairus has come to is God. Are we together? And because Jesus Christ is God, he is the only one worthy of worship. When you read through the New Testament, Jesus is the only man who walked the face of the earth who never rejected worship when it was offered to him. The rest of the apostles, anytime somebody tried, they stopped them. But Jesus Christ received it because he is worthy. He is worthy because he is God. You see, Jesus Christ is not like God. He didn't one day become God. There are so many teachings that at a point Jesus became God. Or Jesus is not God, but he is like God. But you see, the Bible tells us that from everlasting to everlasting, the son had always been God. He is the word who was made flesh. The one who has always been and shall forever be. He is God. When you walk with Jesus, you are not walking with an ordinary individual. On your walk with Jesus, you are walking with God. Amen. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, the apostle Paul says this about Jesus. He says he is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1 15 to 19. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him were all things created that are in the heavens and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. What is this fullness that he's talking about? Paul explains it in Colossians 2, 2 verse 9. Let's read 2 verse 9 of the same Colossians. He says, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If you ever, you see sometimes when you go on evangelism, you hear people say that if God wants us to believe him, he should come. But he has come. His name was Jesus. God has walked the face of the earth. He has, he has stayed here and eaten with us. He has stayed here and lived with us. He knows what it is like to feel pain. He knows what it is like to go through what you are going through because he walked here with us. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, 
He is good. Hallelujah. You know, one of the basic Jewish formulas in their, in their relation with God is that God is good. He is good in his very nature. God does good because he cannot do anything outside of his nature. Everything that God does is consistent with his nature. God does not do you good because you worship him. He does good because he cannot do anything but to do good. Are we together? So when you are on a walk with Jesus, you must understand that the one you are working with is the one who always does good. When God was creating the earth, when God decided in himself that he wanted to create the heavens and the earth, there was no one around him with a marking, uh, with a marking scheme. There was no one around him with something to mark him by. But God took his time to make sure that everything he was making was good. Seven times in the creation story in Genesis 1, the Bible says God looked at what he has done and he said it was good. You know, when we say someone is good, or something is good. That means it seeks the betterment of everything around it. Well, God was creating the earth. Man was not there. In fact, when I was reading the creation story this week again, I noticed something interesting. That on the second day of creation, God did not say it was good. Because every time God said it was good, check the, the, the creation story again. Whenever, whenever God says something was good, it means whatever he had created that day was going to be for the benefit of man. On the second day, God has separated the waters from the waters. There was no land for man to dwell on. So the second day separation did not inure to the benefit of man immediately. So God did not say it was good. He just kept silent on that day. What it means is that God is not waiting for you to do something for him to do you good. Whenever God acts, he's always good. The psalmist says in Psalm 34 verse 8, he says, Oh, come taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. When you put your trust in Jesus and you are working with him, remember that he is good. And because he is good, we can trust his directions. Because he is good, we can obey his commandments. Because he is good, we can wait patiently for seeming delays. And because he is good, we can even rejoice in his denials. When you ask God for something and he denies you, you should be able to rejoice because you know that he is not, when God denies you, he's not denying you because he just wants to. Even his denial is good. Are we together? Why? Because he is the one who works things, all things together for the good of them who love him. To them who are called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. So when Jairus bows before Jesus, he's acknowledging that this man is good. And because he is God, he will be good to me. But the one we are working with is not just good. He is able. Somebody say he is able. When Jairus came to him, he said, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay your hand upon her and she shall live. That means Jairus acknowledges that this man that I'm bowing before, he is able to bring healing to my daughter. He is able to turn things around. Most of us understand that God is omnipotent in theory. But we are not able to bring it down into our lives to realize that he is not just omnipotent on paper. He is actually able to do whatever he says he will do. You see, the reason why I know most of us don't believe this is because if we believed that God was able, we would come to him more often. 
Jairus looked around and he went nowhere else. Ran straight to Jesus. Because he says that in his heart, this man is able to do this. Why will I go anywhere else? You, are, you, you have a bad prayer life and you are not praying. It's because you don't believe God is able. You will say, Pastor, it's not true. But it is true. Because if you believed, you would go more. Right? For the ladies who, who uh, used to go into the salon and do your hair, you know that there are different salons you go for different styles. You know that if it comes to braiding, this person is the best. You know that when it comes to installing weaves, this person is the best. You know that when it ca- you want to do twists, this person is the go-to person. If it comes to God working something in your life and we don't see prayer in your life, it means that you have not come to the place where you are convicted and convinced that God is able. But you see, in Jairus' case, Jairus believed that Jesus is able to heal. But he's not just able to heal. He's able to restore. He's able to renew. He's able to rebuild. Turn to somebody and say, God is able. able. Turn to another person, tell them, God is able. able. See, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 2 Chronicles 25, from verse 5 to 9. 2 Chronicles 25, from verse 5 to 9. Moreover, He's speaking about the king of Judah. The king of Judah at this point in time is going to war against Edom. You know, Israel at this point as a nation has been divided into two. The northern tribe consisting of ten tribes, which is called Israel, with the capital in Samaria. And the southern kingdom consisting of Judah and Benjamin, together called Judah. And their capital is Jerusalem, right? And Judah is being waged war against by Edom. Edom is the tribe of Esau that has become a nation. And they are waging war against the the nation of Judah. And Amaziah, the king of Judah at this time, realizes that his army is small. So he goes to uh, conscript, he goes to hire mercenaries and goes to pay the armies of Israel to come and go to battle with him. But before he goes to the battle, the, a man of God approaches him. And that is the conversation that we are about to read. So it says, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses, throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men, able to go to war, who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. So he is going to hire 100,000 choice men from Israel for for 1,000 talents or for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone. Be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and to overthrow. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, What shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? Then the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Hallelujah. See, this man has gone to invest. He has gone to put money into an endeavor. And God is telling him that if you don't know and you go to battle with the Israelites, you will lose. 
Because at this point in time, the Israelites have been given over to idolatry. And God is not on their side. And if you mix them with your people and you go to the battle, you will lose. And his main concern is, God, what of the investments that we have made? Sometimes we are like that. You've been in a relationship with a guy for a long time or a lady for a long time. And the word of the Lord comes to you that this person is not for you. Leave them. They are like, God, what of all the years that we have been together? What of all the investment I have put in this relationship? God says, if you go, you will lose. If you continue, maybe he will take you to the altar and marry you. But that marriage will be a loss. Are we together? And you are concerned. You are worried. What shall we do about these things? I came to announce to you that God is able to give you much more than this. He is not just able to heal. He is not just able to restore. He is able to give you everything that has been lost. So you see, if we, 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 we knew these things and we understood these things, obeying God will not be difficult. Because sometimes the, the reason why many of us compromise is because we are looking at the things that we have put in. But God is able to give us much more than this. Sometimes we call for a church meeting and you, we, we, we want you to come so that we'll be able to do things and build the house of God. But somebody is calculating uh, extra hours. Maybe I can, I can, the time that we'll be in church, I can do two hours overtime. God is able to give you much more than this. Are we together? But you see, much more than even the things that we've lost. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So he's not able to just heal. He's not able to restore. He's able to exceed your wildest expectations. The Bible says even the things that you can imagine, God is even able to surpass them. So when we are walking with Jesus through life, he is the one who is good and he is the one who is able. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But the lovely thing in all of this is that he's not just good. He is not just able. He is willing. The Bible says that when Jairus brought his request, the Bible says Jesus stood up and walked with him. Sometimes we, we, we think that God is not concerned about us. But every time you take your request before him, he stands up and he walks with you. He is willing. He is not just omnipotent in theory. He wants to demonstrate his power in your life. He's not just good on paper. He wants to demonstrate his goodness in your life. And he's willing to walk with you. Somebody shout, he is God. He is good. He is able. And he is willing. He is God. He is good. He is able. And he is willing. He is God. He is good. He is able. And he is willing. And you must never forget this. You must never forget that the one with whom you are walking is God. The one with whom you are walking, he is good. The one with whom you are walking, he is able. And the one with whom you are walking, he is willing. Because you see, on the journey to, to your destination, several things may happen. And while those things are happening, what gives you an assurance is that you know 
that he is God, that he is good, that he is able, and that he is willing. On the way to Jairus' house, the first thing that happened is what I call, there was delay and distraction. There was delay and distraction. Let's imagine the scene again. Jairus has come. He is desperate, bowing at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus has risen up and is going with Jairus. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the journey, Jesus stops. He says, somebody has touched me. And, and Peter and Co. were like, Jesus, are you serious? Look at the crowd around us. Like, are you serious right now? Like, relax. Everyone is touching you. Jesus says, no, there is a touch and there is a touch. Somebody touched me and something has gone out of me. So Jesus pauses and he's asking, interviewing, who touched me? There's a crowd and Jesus is asking, who touched me? And Jairus is standing there looking at Jesus like, hey, this man, my daughter is dying. There was a delay. But all this while Jairus was quiet. If it was me, I would say, hey, please, it's an emergency. <laughs> Hurry up, Jesus. I know we can find out later. But Jesus knows no. So they pause and finally this woman comes out and begins to narrate all that. The reason why I know it was a long narration is because, number one, it was a woman. <laughs> and because women don't tell half stories. Usually when my wife comes home from work and she's trying to tell me about her day, sometimes she wants to tell me about one thing, but there is backstory. Because the backstory will give you the context to understand what is happening. So I understand that the, 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 the story that the woman gave was detailed. We know it is detailed because, for, for one, we, we now know that the woman was sick for 12 years. So she, she took her time to give details. And Jairus was standing there the whole time, reminding himself he is God. He is good. He is able. And he is willing. Because, you see, sometimes on your journey with God, whilst you are being delayed, other people are experiencing what you came for. And, and what do you do in such an instance? Because Jairus wanted healing for his daughter. This woman has got the healing already. It's like, hey, God is not fair. That's what some of us conclude. That God is not fair. He's doing it for this person. He's doing it for James. He's doing it for Bridget. He's doing it for Kayla. And, and my daughter is dying. And standing there. But Jairus kept quiet. Because he understands that if God is omnipotent, his power is not limited to one healing per day. You see, sometimes we, we, we cry and we complain because we have limited understanding of the power of God. The fact that God has done it for someone does not mean that yours is missing. The fact that you were trusting God for, for a spouse and your best friend got married does not mean that God cannot do it for you. The fact that you are trusting God for promotion at work and yours has not come, but others are being promoted, others are getting better jobs, does not mean that God has forgotten about you because he is God. He is good. He is able and he is willing. Are you together? So we need to stay the course. Because what happens is that in those cases, some people just throw in the towel and they say, I will not work with Jesus again. I, I, I won't do it again. The, the, the year has, has gone. I've been working with Jesus from January. We are at November. Everybody has got their prayers answered except me. But I, I don't know. When I, whenever I read the story and I immerse myself into it, I, 
I, I, I wish God would give me the faith of Jairus. Because he never says anything negative. He never complains. He just keeps walking with Jesus. Because he knows who he's walking with. He knows who he's walking with. Finally, when they get to the household of Jairus, I like Luke's version. Because Luke's version says that someone comes out of the house and says that, you know what, don't worry yourself with Jesus again. Your daughter is already dead. The master has already delayed. And your daughter is dead. You see, it presupposes that, you see, the people have put Jesus in a certain box. They have heard that he is a healer. So what they know is that he can heal. But if it crosses over to death, we have not experienced Jesus in that area. So we cannot vouch for him. So you don't worry him. Let him go his way. And sometimes what you have been waiting for, what you have been trusting for, sometimes God will let it get spoiled. Sometimes God will let it get to a place where you feel there is no return. Because in those moments, God is trying to reveal a part of himself that you have not yet experienced. Because maybe you know God as a healer, but God is trying to give you a taste of the resurrection. Are we together? So God, Jesus comes to the door and tells him, you know what, let everybody leave. And sometimes God will ask you to let certain people live your life. He says, let everybody live. Because you see, sometimes you are in an atmosphere and the people that you have around you cannot strengthen your faith. If you keep on listening to them, you will soon leave Jesus. At that crossroad, you have to make a decision. Whose report will you believe? Are you going to believe the ones who necessarily have some evidence to show because you were not in the house. They were in the house. And they are telling you your daughter is dead. Or are you going to believe the one who is God? Are you going to believe the one who is good? Are you going to believe the one who is able? And Jairus at the crossroads. And they ask. Jesus tells him, make sure everybody leaves. This is why I said the faith of Jairus is so commendable. Because he obeys Jesus. He says, everybody leave. I know you are telling me my daughter is dead, but you don't know. I know I'm working with someone, and I don't know what is about to happen, but I know who I'm working with. He sacks all of them from the house, and Jesus enters the room and holds the girl's hand and wakes her up. Because Jesus, when he starts a journey with you, when he starts a journey with you, he will complete it. When he starts his walk with you, he would finish what he has started. And I don't know, for the rest of 2023, I don't know what you are trying to give up hope on, but remember who you are working with. In 2024, I don't know what may come across your path, but remember who you are working with. That this Jesus, he is God. This our Jesus, he is not just an ordinary man. Jesus cannot be compared to the other gods out there. They are not his classmates. The Bible says, from him, through him, were all things made. You see, sometimes you hear people preach all kinds of messages out there. This week I heard one of the wildest messages out there. One guy was saying that we are nothing. When we, the moment you get saved, you are nothing without Jesus, and Jesus is nothing without you. I said, the first part is true. The second part, mm. Because Jesus, oh, without you, he's still complete. When we weren't here, he made everything. He didn't have to make anything to be God. 
Father said, God made the earth. God was not lonely. In God, there is a community. Father, Son, Spirit. He wasn't lonely. He made you for your benefit. Let me say it again. God made you for your benefit. Because being even alive today is one of the greatest blessings you can ever have. Are we together? So when you're walking with him, when you're walking with Jesus, understand that this Jesus that I am with, he is God. And because he is God, he is good. And because he is God, he is able. But he is not just able. You see, other, God, other religions have gods who are not necessarily concerned about their, their, their nitty gritties and the intricate details of their lives. But our God, he stepped down into time. When Jairus came to him, he stood up from his seat and followed him because he is able and he is willing. And as you walk through the rest of the year, I want you to hold on to this word. When challenges come your way, hold on to the one whom you are working with. When delays come your way, because they will come, I want you to remember who you are working with. When it seems like others are being blessed and you are not being blessed, remember who you are working with. When it seems as though everything is going bad, and you can't find a solution. And people are telling you there is no hope. Your daughter is dead. Remember who you are working with. Because at the end of the day, Samisa will live again. Your daughter will live again. And God is here. You see, a lot of us want a taste of God's healing. But sometimes God wants to give you more. And God will give us a taste of the resurrection. In this year, God will give you a taste of the new life. You will walk away with a tangible manifestation, a tangible healing, a tangible blessing, a tangible testimony. By December 31st, you will come singing the praises of the Lord because our God is good, our God is able, and our God is willing. This morning, I just want us to 